Welcome to the Universal Sisterhood podcast. We're hoping to create a place where women can delve deeper, lift their gaze higher, live freer, laugh louder, smile brighter, and be the authentic woman she was designed to be. Every human heart is created to be known, loved, and understood. So this is the place where women can share their stories. In today's episode, I chat with Christine. Um, I met her on Instagram. I followed her story um, not from the very beginning, but um, suffering brought us together. Her suffering brought um, uh, her into my life and into my prayer life. And now um, she's a guest on the podcast. Um, She's got an incredible story and she's weathered an amazing, some amazing storms, not just one, many storms. Um, She's battled health problems, including Lyme disease. Um, She followed her heart and moved her picture-perfect family from their picture-perfect home into a small unit um, because it was her desire and the desire of her heart to simplify her life. Um, She believed that that's what God was asking of her. So she courageously um, asked her husband if he would, you know, discern it, uh, take it to his prayer. And um, so they moved their whole family to a small unit to simplify it. Two weeks later, her husband was diagnosed with brain cancer. Uh, Their dreams of welcoming their sweet adopted baby um, were put on hold. Um, And the whole journey, she has not stepped out of the boat. She has um, stayed in the boat no matter the storm and she's deeply anchored to Christ. Even when she can't see through the storm and she can't feel him, her faith has been her stronghold and it was just beautiful to hear um, how that has anchored her. Um, I was flicking back through my book just just now um, before I recorded this and I saw that I had written this um, excerpt from 2 Corinthians 4 because it stood out to me a few months ago and I just looked at it then and I thought my goodness this, this applies to Christine and it says We are afflicted in every way, but not constrained, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. And I think as much as it is for Christine in her life, it's so much for us now in this situation that we find ourselves in with COVID-19, this virus that's keeping us from living the life that we're used to and making us... um, Think about what we value um, and really loving the ones that are directly in front of us. Um, I just, um, I think the whole way through it, through through what we're all going through now and through what Christine tells us in her story, is that we just have to trust the process um, because God's not only going to give us strength, but he's, he's refining us and he's developing servants. Um, All we have to do is remain faithful Um, because you and I and Christine and all of us, we were called for a time such as this. He feels every one of our tears. He feels our betrayal. He feels our anxiety. He feels our grief. He knows exactly the pain that we're going through because he went through it as well. Just next week, we we start Holy Week Um, and it is... It's no mistake that this virus has come around in Lent. And I heard today that um, somebody said that it's not just Catholics and Christians who are living out Lent this in 2020. It's the entire world, and it's so true. Um, we have to use this time. We've all got free will. We use this time wisely um, because I really feel that that's what um, is being asked of us right now. Anyway, I'll stop talking so that you can um, listen to Christine. She has an amazing story, an amazing faith, um, and an amazing spirit. Enjoy. For having me all the way across (laughs) Across the big pond. (laughs) It's getting smaller and smaller. Yeah, right. Yeah. Now that everybody is um, online. Um, 
But I would like you to start, before we start, I want you to introduce yourself and tell us something a little bit about you. Okay, my name is Christine. I've been married a little over 13 years to my husband, Michael. We have four children, two girls and two boys. Our girls are 5 and 12, and our boys are 8 and 10, well, soon to be 10. Our, our son has his golden birthday on April 10th, which is Good Friday in a quarantine. Yes. So that might not be great. I've had a child's birthday in quarantine too. It's not fun. For and it's kids. Good Friday. So he's, yes. he's, he's got a double whammy. Uh, yeah. So we'll have a big bash in May or June or August or whenever all this is done. But I think so. I think everyone's going to be celebrating. Yeah. Yeah. We are. Um, yeah, just a little bit about our family. My husband was diagnosed with brain cancer six months ago. About a month after his diagnosis, we were supposed to be adopting a little baby, um, which was very much a great loss for both us and the expectant mother. But that's just, you know, part of the big old yep. story that we have going on. So that's just a little bit. Little How bit far of- into the adoption process had you got? It was almost two years. Oh, wow. So, yeah, we had started the process in November of 2017. And then it took me a good year to really discern and make sure that my heart was really ready to adopt. Mm-hmm. My husband's adopted and it's something that we've talked about since the beginning of our marriage. But we did our home study in May of 2018. And then by December of 2018, I was I was ready. I had to go through. I mean, adoption is so different than having a biological child, even though the love might be the same, the process is very different. And there's a lot of things that I just had to make sure that I was, um, that I was ready for. So I spent a lot of time preparing for that. And then we, uh, we were, there was a mother who had chosen us in July of 2019 and she was due in October of, of, so just a a month before the, Right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So let's, that's, that's a massive, a massive journey and also a a really big um, lesson in trust. Oh yeah. All of it. I mean, the, the interesting thing is right before, so my husband, we, we had a lot kind of converging at once when my husband was diagnosed we had just sold what we thought was our dream home mm-hmm. and we had lived there actually only for a year um, it was about six months into living there that I just had this overwhelming sense that we really needed to sell it and change course in life we had kind of been living a pretty big lifestyle and for a couple of years and it just really wasn't meshing with my heart and the desires that I had and my husband and I had for our family. So within goodness, we sold our house in August. We moved Labor Day weekend in September. My husband had his seizure just a week later um, after we had moved. And he was actually in the process of transitioning his business. He's a uh, financial advisor, a stockbroker. And so he was moving his business from one financial firm to the other. It was only about a month into that transition. So we had the business transition, the home transition, and then the preparation for the adoption when when my husband was diagnosed. And so how do you head around all that? What was that? How how do you get your head around all of that? It's a lot. No, it's really a lot. Um, I think there's two parts. I think there was the events leading up to it, I I had gone through a very huge discernment and purification and the selling of our home and like completely downsizing and changing and simplifying our life. So was Uh, that on your heart or was that your husband? Were you both? That was on on my heart. And how do you bring that up? (laughs) Well, you know, a lot of courage. Well, especially since we'd only been in our house for six months when I said, uh, we need to sell our house again. <laughs> so, wow. Um, so what, I, were the, what was the Holy Spirit? What were the inspirations? How did you? Yeah, yeah I, I had been restless for a number of years. Um, part of it was just some, 
sufferings that we were going through, just um, things in my own health. I had a lot of health issues, things in our marriage, things, choices that we had made. Um, and my husband had seen over the past number of years how um, just unhappy I was and just how some of our choices and some life stuff mm-hmm with my health was really just things weren't going well. And so I think he really knew deep down that we really did need to make a massive shift and just, um, essentially start over and kind of rebuild our family again from the ground up. So he was really, he saw how much I had discerned it and he then spent his own time in discernment and prayer and came to the realization that this was something that would be good for our family to do. So I kind of approach that part just in mutual submission. You know, he, he wanted to stay mm-hmm. and I wanted to move and he challenged himself to pray about it and, and discern it. And then he ended up coming to a similar conclusion as myself. So that's what kind of prompted that big life shift. Yeah. And so it was, you, you moved from a big house to a, where are you now? Itty bitty condo. We're renting a condo. Um, yeah, our house was, was quite large. It was, uh, close to 5,000 square feet. And now, yeah. now my kids are all sharing a bedroom, which they love, but no, it's great. I, uh, a motto that my dad or that I grew up with was keep life simple. And that really is, um, yeah really is the way to go, especially when you go through a lot of, you know, detachments and sufferings, and it makes it a lot easier to endure that. So it was, it was a good move. I mean, the world right now is being asked to keep life very simple, aren't we? Right, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you move into this um, condo, right? Your, Your husband is moving office, and then and then what happens? Do you work or you're, you're a stay-at-home mom? Yep, I'm home. I do, uh, I do some ministry on the theology of the body, but I'm home. We homeschool our kids, so mm-hmm. that's, that's what I do. But, mm-hmm. yeah, we, we had just settled into our condo when Friday the 13th in September. Oh, wow. Yeah, I get a phone call from his, one of his uh, coworkers saying that he had had a seizure. Wow. And so we go to the hospital and I just had assumed that it was from stress, everything that had been going on in yeah. life. And they ended up finding a softball sized tumor in its left frontal lobe. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, well, uh, had you seen any warning signs before that? Um, not, I mean, looking back, probably some personality changes, things mm. that, um, I, I joke with him. I say I dragged him to marriage counseling when I should have brought him in for an MRI. <laughs> but we no, know what we know to do. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, yeah, no, no headaches, nothing other than just some things in his personality that were different over the past few years. But that's you put down that's, to depression or anxiety or anything right, like that. Stress, yeah. sure. Yeah. Wow. So it was complete shock. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was a huge life upheaval. Um, Yeah, so he, two weeks after he was diagnosed, um, we ended up, or he ended up having surgery. We opted for what's called a tumor resection. So the, the surgeon tries to go in and remove as much of the tumor safely as possible. Mm-hmm. And he was about no, a softball. So we don't play softball here in Australia. A softball is kind of the size of um, is it probably maybe half a football? No, yeah, a, third a, of football? a double. Yeah, probably the double an orange, an orange, orange. Yeah, maybe bigger than maybe a little bit bigger than that. About uh-huh. that. So pretty big. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, his surgery was successful. His first surgery was successful. The doctor got about 80% of the tumor safely. Um, and then two days later, he ended up 
having some complications. The remaining tumor had swelled up inside his brain and his brain um, ended up funneling into his brainstem. And so over the course of a number of hours, he went from normal and fine to completely unconscious. And they had to go back in and remove um, a lot of his left temporal lobe because it was on his brainstem and it was, um, they had to put him on a ventilator and he was having a hard time breathing and he was very close to his body just shutting down and him dying. So they had to go in and remove part of his brain and they were unsure that it would work if that swelling would occur again or if he would even wake up. Mm. And, and, and where were you in all this? How, where was your faith? What, what, what was giving you strength or were you completely, um, were you despairing or did you have hope? What was your, well, I was think, your state? Right. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I'm the type of person, and I think a lot of people in crises find themselves this way. It's like the big things like that, it's a lot easier to have faith and to maintain composure versus like the little things. Like my kids leave these little strips of paper all over the floor, and I think I freak out about that more than I did. Yeah. <laughs> I just, you know, going mm-hmm. for another surgery. So I think it's... um a combination of a little bit of shock that keeps you calm and going into my husband's diagnosis because I had gone through that huge long process of discernment and purification with the whole house stuff. My heart was in a really good place. So my Mm -hmm. faith was very strong. Mm -hmm. Um, I had very little doubt in that whatever happened was the will of the Lord and that God, um, one thing I learned in the selling of our house process is that God is good and he can't be anything other than good. And so that having that in a time of, um, what should be a despairing time is really, really helpful and is really faith sustaining. I think it's so beautiful how all these, um, sufferings that we incur in our life um they're not they're for something they're not wasted and and you see the bigger picture when something massive like this happens that all those not that giving up your house was a small thing but he he uses everything to build upon you know and to make for to refine us and to fortify us and to make us stronger and more more docile I think more childlike more more um what's the word more um detached yeah detached but what's the word I I always use it I can't even think (laughs) of it um surrendered I suppose right no you're right I I see God's hand oh for sure no I was um I think you it's funny you brought that up because as I briefly mentioned earlier we've been through a lot of sufferings over these past number of years and um I, after each trial, I always thought, okay, now things are going to get better, mm-hmm. you know, and then we'd be dealt another blow and now things will get better. And then, and then something else happened. And then once, when my husband was diagnosed, I realized, wait a minute, what if all of those sufferings were actually preparation to be able to endure this? Mm-hmm. Because it's kind of, it's kind of like labor. I mean, you don't just go from nothing to all of a sudden having a baby. You have this buildup of of the pain and then the you know, tolerance, I suppose. The tolerance. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, so I was actually, I was diagnosed with Lyme disease, um, a couple, oh, wow. of, a couple of years ago. And is that the disease from ticks or, or am I yeah. being really superficial? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. It, um, I, I don't ever remember having a tick bite. Um, mm-hmm. I think it can be transmitted other ways too, but yeah, so I was I was diagnosed with Lyme in Christmas of 2018, and that actually stripped me of a lot of fear because for some reason I was so afraid of getting it, and then here I had huh. it, and I couldn't be afraid of it anymore, so I just had to deal with it. Yeah, wow. I wonder why you had that underlying fear of Lyme disease. I think because I, I had seen so many people deal with it and become so 
um, because it can become a very debilitating disease. Uh And I think I was just afraid of, because I had a lot of health issues and I was afraid of that. And unbeknownst to me, I've actually had it and that's what I've been dealing with and being able to treat it. I've been able to get better now. So I think it's more of a fear of the unknown and a fear of suffering more. Yeah. We fear fear itself. Right. Yeah. Um, so your husband, where are you now? Like, so he goes from first surgery, which was successful to a second surgery. Does he come home or? Yeah. So he spent, we ended up spending three weeks in the hospital, uh, about a week and a half in the regular hospital and then a week and a half in rehab. And he had no physical deficits. So his body worked fine. Um, it was just the cognitive aspect that he had impairment with. So we were able to come home mid-October, and then he started speech therapy. He um, Most of his deficits now are just in the areas of conversation, um, some word finding. Kind of, It's called aphasia, where he can't quite find the right word. Um, and then some short-term memory loss, but that short-term memory has improved itself quite a bit. He started proton radiation in November. So we went through seven weeks of that, which really zaps the brain. Um, so he was down and out for a while. We did chemo. We started chemo in February. We did a, a round of that, but he got too sick to continue. So Mm -hmm. we put that on hold for a little bit and then just to give his body some time to, to get stronger, to heal. Yeah. So he's now not doing anything. He's just at home. Yep. He's at home. He's just trying to recover and get some semblance, some. Yeah. Normalist. Yeah. So he's still um, on leave from work. He actually just took a big, what's called a neuropsych exam. It's a big six hour cognitive examination. He actually just did that yesterday. Mm-hmm. We should be getting results back here in the next week or two, and then we'll determine if he is able to go back to work. Wow. So what about you? That's a lot for him, but that's also a lot for you. Like, is there a grieving process? Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's funny, again, that you bring that up, Holy Spirit. Um, <laughs> the past were- yeah. The, the the past six months, ever since all this started, there definitely hasn't been any time for grief. Um, mm-hmm. One, because it's hard to know what to grieve when you're in the middle of it. And then... Well, you're too busy to grieve. No time. Right. There's no time. Yeah. Um, but I, I now see the cracks in the dam start to mm. open a little bit. And the past few days have definitely been very difficult in terms of coming to terms with all the loss, you know, Mm -hmm. the the loss of the baby, the loss of having, you know, a partner in life. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, Michael's doing really well, but there's still that, that loss of the marriage relationship, the loss of potential loss of his business. If it comes to that, Mm -hmm. you know, the loss of uh, father does, is he able to father the, like play with the kids and interact with the children or. Yeah, he, um, he's, he's doing great in that area. He's able to, um, yeah, very much interact. Yeah. Which is great. Which I suppose it was not, I I don't know your circumstance, but him being a stockbroker and a a high flying life is pretty, they're away from home a lot. So maybe this is um, a big opportunity. Well, a massive shift that he is now at home. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, for sure. No, he, he definitely, you know, they're, they have a very high pressure job. And so he worked at least 10 to 12 hour days, but you know, five, some, sometimes six days a week. And so, um, yeah, he's very engaged in life at home, which is a good thing. Yeah. Wow. So, um, so I know you're human, so this must, you, you can't always be full of, um, hope and surrender and, um, total um, abandonment to the providence of God I know we should be but we're human and we we struggle at that right Um, how where do you turn I know you like 
do you just want to, you know, throw the towel in and <laughs> have a big temper tantrum? Oh, I, I do that. <laughs> I do that in my car occasionally. <laughs> the shower is always a good place. The shower, yeah, yeah. Um, here's a funny thing about that, what I've realized about temper tantrums. Um, sometimes it's good to let it out. Sometimes for myself, I throw a temper tantrum because I think God's not listening any other way. Hmm. And I just got to check my intentions when I do that. Because if I'm, if I'm throwing a temper tantrum because I'm doubting, then it's really hard to get out of that place. It's a couple of weeks of being sad and down and then it spills over into life and the family. If I just need to be mad and sad and have a cry, that's, you know, I let myself do that. I just try to make sure that, um, that I don't allow the doubt to creep in because it's such a slippery slope. And a lot of times I just have to choose the faith. I don't want it. I want to, I want to stop. I want to stop the suffering. I want to stop, you know, yeah, I just want it all to be done. Yeah. Um, I heard this song, um, was it yesterday? The day before we, our church is open uh, which is so beautiful. So I walk over, it's about a 20-minute walk from my house. So every day I've been r- running away from my <laughs> children <laughs> and um, going and sitting in front of the Blessed Sacrament and it is just so beautiful. Like it's, I, can't, I can't describe the consolation I get from just sitting in front of our Lord. And I, I said to him the other day, give me a song. I, I, need, to, I need a song. I need to put something in my ears. And so I, um, there's a song called This Close by Stephanie Gretzinger. It's a new song, I think. I'd never heard of it before. But it says here, um, you're not struggling to hear me. Like we always think that he can't hear us. Um, so I'm not striving to be heard. I'm sure the one who made me is catching every word. So he knows exactly. He hears us. We don't need to have these. Although we do and we want to, we feel justified in having these temper tantrums. He hears us. He hears us clearly. Um, and he's not, not listening to us. I just found that so comforting. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's beautiful. beautiful. Yeah. It, I mean, it's, it's definitely something that it takes sometimes just a choice to believe that. I mean, I don't feel that right now. I don't feel yeah. like I'm being listened to. I, I have worry about our future and how things are going to unfold over the next few months. Um, but I'm trying to separate the worry out from the, the grieving. I mean, the grieving, I'm definitely going to let come. I mean, that, that needs to come. I can't keep stuffing down yeah. sadness because the tears that are coming and just, it's just heavy. It's a, it's a lot of, it's, I keep going back to the word loss and it is, it's a lot of loss. Um, yeah. And I have to, I have to sit with that and be okay with that. Um, while so staying in a space of it's going to be okay, even if it's not okay. I just, I think if I were to complete a couple of times I have, I know right around November, right around January, I allowed myself to go to a really dark place of just a lack of trust and anger over everything that's happened. And the tricky thing about that is, I mean, those are all okay feelings to have, but it, um, it zaps a lot out of you. And I'm either going to come back to God and be like, okay, I'm sorry, I do have faith. And, you know, I just think it's not an absence of doubt. Like we have to have right. doubt to have faith, right? Right. Right. Or I'm just going to completely throw in the towel. And I think I've come too far to throw in the towel. So. Yeah. And what is that going to get you anyway? (laughs) Well, exactly. Exactly. It kind of goes back again to that temper tantrum. It's like, you know, where, where is my faith really, really at, you know, and and that, that is constantly something that is being, you know, as you and I talked about at the beginning before we started recording, um, it's constantly being purified. 
there's not ever an, an end moment, which can seem overwhelming, but at the same time, it's also, it's also good. Yeah. He's refining us. One, one scratch or massive, <laughs> massive, um, blow at a time. Yeah. It's, um, so I just, I'm just curious about the children, how, how, I mean, you ha- it's one thing to be able to, um, navigate your own emotions, but you also have four children. How, how are you managing that as well? Right. Um, I think the, the best thing is that their life hasn't been disrupted too much. So because we homeschool in the beginning, there were a number of people that said, oh, you know, you should think about putting the kids in school, you know, while you take care of your husband. And I was, I I totally respect the um, good intentions, but I just knew that my kids' day-to-day life needed to stay Mm -hmm. simpler. One, because Mm -hmm. they love being homeschooled. And so Mm -hmm. if if I were to put them in a completely new environment while their dad was sick, that would have just been way too much. So I think keeping their their day-to-day life as normal as possible, um, I'm very, without going too overboard, we're pretty honest with them about what's going down, you Mm -hmm. know, with them about their dad's prognosis and honest with them about what happened in the hospital so that there's not a lot of secrets and they're not having to make things up in their mind about what's actually happening. Yeah. Um, I'm honest when I have a bad day, you know, I've had a couple rough days this past weekend and I'm just sad and down and I have to tell them, you know, I'm, I'm sad. I'm, I'm missing this baby. I'm missing life how it was. And so I'm going to be sad for a couple of days and that that's a good thing because they then see, okay, mom is, you know, not going off the deep end and she's not just, you know, like mom's a human too. So, and she's, and mom can be sad, but she, she bounces back again. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of gives, gives them permission to be sad and then to respond. They keep journals, the two oldest, the uh, 12-year-old, my daughter, and then my son, who's 10. They keep journals. They write in every night just about their life. We write journals back and forth. Michael actually started a journals with the kids. So he writes to them, and then they write back to him. And, yeah, it's great. So I think just the honesty, having letting them have an outlet for um, a lot of their own feelings and just keeping life as normal as possible normal for sure yeah um I'm curious about your the theology of the body do you mind if we jump back over to jump over to that yeah for a second so what what got you into um you said you were mentoring is that right yeah so I run a ministry called theology Um, body northwest um I've kind of put it on hold since my husband was sick but When I was in college, I had a good friend through our campus ministry bring Theology of the Body, and it it really changed my life. I mean, I was a young woman struggling with a lot of issues that young women do, and it really gave me a lot of the answers to what I was searching for. And it it drew me a lot deeper into my own Catholic faith because this this marital analogy um, and the Catholic faith are so intertwined that it just made my faith make a lot of sense. So when we were married, um, when my husband and I were first married, then we had our, I was a teacher. And then when we had our first baby, I decided to stay home. And so I was running the high school youth ministry at our parish and decided to start my own speaking ministry. And so then I started traveling around the Northwest and other areas speaking doing marriage prep, confirmation, parish talks on the theology of the body. Uh-huh. That's great. And so can you give our listeners kind of a little abridged version of what it is? Sure. I know, I know a lot kind of flinch at the thought of of it. Okay. I think <laughs> if they're frightened of what it's going to tell them. Yeah. <laughs> No, Theology of the Body is a biblical reflection on the meaning of the body and sexuality. So it is, Theology of the Body is a phrase that was coined by St. John Paul 
the second, Pope John Paul second, mm-hmm. and he spent the first five years of his pontificate speaking on the meaning of the body, sexuality, marital union, priestly celibacy, and, and everything around it. And um, his five years of Wednesday audiences were compiled together into a work called Theology of the Body. So theology means study of God. So a theology of the body is a study of God through the body. Mm-hmm. And so it takes church teaching on marriage, the body, sexuality, love, what it means to be man and woman, and it puts new fresh analogies to help, especially young people, but anybody, understand why God created the body, why it's so important. And because the body is the means by which God reveals who he is. And so in understanding the body and sexuality, you can understand who God is. And if you can confuse people about the meaning of the body and love and sexuality, then you can confuse them about who God is. So it's incredibly powerful in seeing all these things that are perhaps arbitrary in our world or our faith and seeing that they're actually very much intertwined through, through God's spousal love for us. Yeah, wow. Um, do you see um, there, there being a correlation with what's happening now to um, how humanity have kind of disregarded God? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think that... I, like, I don't mean to be like a doomsday kind oh, of person. Sure. But do you think that there might, there, this might be a manifestation or this is a, a, a consequence of, of, yeah. of man turning away from God? Yeah, no, I think that in God's mercy, he definitely sends chastisements. He sends mm-hmm. us plagues. And I mean, you just got to look through the whole entire Old Testament. Every time people turned away from him and set, you know, distanced themselves from God, God distanced himself from them. I mean, he says, if you want to worship idols, then see how you do without me. And I think that's very much what God is allowing. Now, he might not have come down and created the coronavirus and said, here you go, but he's allowing it to happen Mm -hmm. uh, perhaps as a punishment for sure. I mean, but also as a mercy because it is a very serious virus. We see that, but it's also, you know, it's not the black plague. It's not killing yeah. one out of three people. So I think that God is allowing it as a great mercy for mm. people to see how do you do without me, right? How do you do with the churches being closed? How does that feel? How does mm. it feel to have your life completely upended? And I think if we don't heed this warning, that there are definitely going to be greater and bigger mm. things to come to attempt to wake us up because again god loves us that he doesn't want to see us in our sin he wants us to turn and have our own reversions and our own conversions and he uses things like this he uses brain cancer he uses coronavirus he uses you know those things to he uses all the evil to try to make something better come out of them than if it happened I was having this conversation with a friend last night because she was saying how frightening it was. And I said, it's, it's actually such a gift. I said, the fact that you're being asked to go and stay home and love your family, like when, when have we been asked to do that so blatantly? Like it's, right. it's, 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 such, it's such a tender act of mercy, I think. And, right. and what are they asking our priests to do? They're the only ones that have access to him. Like, love me, fall back in love with me. Right, exactly. Right. It's so clear and it's so beautiful. Right. And I think it's a, it's a wake-up call too. And that was when, again, going back to the selling of our house, I realized that in the life that we were living, we weren't prepared to handle catastrophe. We weren't prepared to handle financial catastrophe, catastrophe in the world. You know, I think there's a lot of people realizing now that 
oh, wow, things can change in an instant. Am I, am I ready? You know, am I prepared to handle something? Control is such an illusion. Nobody has control. Right. You know, am I prepared to handle something practically, financially? Mm, Yeah. Right. Mm. It's, 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 it's a time of great mercy and um, grace, I think. For sure. If, if we um, if we can see it, right, and we have to we have to allow it. I mean, we have the choice. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. That's right. We have freedom, free will. Um, now through everything you've gone through, I mean, how old are you? You're not very old. <laughs> I am thirty-six. Thirty-six. Yep. So in your You've you've had to deal with a lot in your sh- short thirty six years on this earth. Um, what would you say to your younger self? You know, being a twenty year old or a college student, um, did you meet your husband in college? Did you say? Yeah, I did. I was in college. He was um, doing campus ministry, so he's a few years older than I am. So, what would you say to your younger self back then? Uh, I'm sure you would not have envisaged your life now. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, I joke about that all the time. This is, this is not how I saw things going. <laughs> I didn't sign up for this. Um, what would I have said? Uh, well, the biggest thing is stop trying to avoid suffering. Because when you try to make your life so comfortable as to avoid all suffering, you end up suffering more. And that's, that's what we did. I mean, we were making choices to live a certain way deep down. I mean, it was subconscious, but deep down to ensure that, you know, we didn't suffer much and we ended up suffering more in a lot of our decisions than if we had just kept things simple and not pined for, you know, for, for pined for more. Yeah. So I think, Keeping things simple. Don't don't be don't be afraid of suffering. I think that's. Um, I can't remember what saint said it, but when I when I heard that a few years ago or a couple of years ago or whenever it was, I'm like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense because here I am, trying to set up my life so that it's perfect and happy and comfortable, and yet, I I you know I was suffering more than if I just had allowed. Yeah let go of the control yeah yeah I agree with you 100% um uh sorry there's a man cutting a tree right outside (laughs) my window and I'm very distracted (laughs) um I I think last year I my sister had um heart surgery and I had I had spinal surgery two things that we did not see coming at all And um, I think once you're in the midst of suffering and you embrace it, it's it's actually so liberating. Um, Would you agree? Yeah, I mean, I think when it's hard. I'm not saying it's not easy. Sure, very hard. But I think the fear is gone. Like you're in it. I think we're so afraid of suffering that that that's consuming and when you're in it it's like okay I just let go I mean whatever there's nothing you can do (laughs) right just have to surrender yeah yeah because if you try to fight it it makes the pain so much worse Mm -hmm. you know and I don't know how any of this is gonna end up and turn out all I know I mean the one thing that that makes it more bearable is continuing to realize this is not you know, this isn't my ultimate home. If I have to suffer for 80 years down here or 50 years or 90 years, then, you know, there was another great saint that said, when you look back on your life, it's just going to seem like a night at a bad hotel. (laughs) (laughs) That was St. Teresa of Avila, I think. (laughs) There, Yeah, there was. And my daughter's name is Avila. Ah, there you go. Um, I I love, I think she said, uh, no wonder you don't have any friends, Jesus, because look what you do. To yeah, your exactly. I, yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. <laughs> I say that to him. I said, wait, I'm a parent and I would not treat my kids this way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You also have to have a sense of humor. I think humor is important. 
Yeah, and I and um a lightness. A lightness, yeah, for sure. Hmm. Because I mean again, I throw my hands up. What am I gonna what am I gonna do? I mean, this is this is my lot in life and this is how God has decided it's gonna play out and Sure, maybe I could have made different choices and things would have been different or quote unquote better, but but I'm not God and I don't have the wisdom of God and so I don't know ultimately what he's doing. And so I think holding out for that hope that there's something going on behind the scenes that I can't see or understand that someday I'll understand and so I just play my role and do my part and make sure that things in my little corner of the world are taken care of with my family and, mm-hmm. and just really trust that through my faithfulness, God will be utterly generous and faithful to me. Yeah. And, and through your faithfulness, other people will come back to him. Um, right. Because only through your suffering have I um, stumbled across you. <laughs> and now you're able to share your story with thousands of women um I only I think your your picture popped up on my you know those I don't know I'm on Instagram those kind of feeds that you can explore or whatever yeah whatever it is I don't know my kids and a picture of your husband's head with the bandage on it and a miraculous medal or something yeah that's that's what drew my attention to that picture and I clicked on it and here we are. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. Um, and I've been praying for you ever since. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I really want to say thank you to everybody who's been praying for our family, to you, to anybody who's listening to this who has been praying for us because there have been very dark times where I see those messages from people and you might not realize what a difference it makes, but it does. I mean, there's times where I know that it was the prayers of other people, strangers mm-hmm. and friends and family that carried us. I mean, it's it's very powerful what prayers for someone else can do. So I yep. thank you. Oh, we're all in it together. <laughs> we, all, we all have to, as, as Pope Francis said the other night, we're all in the same boat. We need to learn to to row together, I think. Um, it's yeah we can't get to heaven alone Um, and this isn't the end of your story no I don't um, I don't think it is I I, when again when we were going through selling our house I had this intuition that God was going to do something big in our family big and beautiful and good and then all this went down and I still I have to hold on to that hope that, you know, maybe not, maybe we just continue on and life is life, but I just. You can't say this isn't big though, (laughs) or beautiful. Oh, this is, this is, yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's a really good point. This is big. If it gets you to heaven, it's good. Right. There you go. Yeah. But (laughs) who knows what's around the corner. All, you know, I've learned that you can't, um, you might, you know, I might think that I have an idea of what's coming, but it's always way different than what I think. So, yeah, I'm excited. This summer will be good. We hopefully, you know, finding what was that? Did I read that you have to move soon? The landlord wants. Yeah, we did. They were um, planning on selling our uh, our unit um, and we'd have to be out with the, by the end of May. But now with everything going down with the stay and shelter orders, we're hoping to have that extended at least through the end of the summer. Just because there's everything shut down, even if we yeah. wanted to find a place, there's, you know, no homes on the market. And nor should we be, you know, out right now with my husband's condition. So we're hoping to get that extended. Oh, well, let's hope. Well, I mean, things happen for a reason. Hopefully right. you're. You'll be there all of summer. And you have that beautiful lake. Is that a lake or a river? It is the Puget Sound. So we're on, yeah, the Puget Sound up here in Washington. Yeah. No, that's a very, very lovely view. You can see all the way. stunning. It's awesome. Lucky to look at that. Is that sunsets that you look at or sunrises? Uh, Sunrise. Oh, how beautiful. Yeah. Gorgeous. Thank you so much, Christine. 
I've really enjoyed our conversation. Um, thank you to the internet for putting me in touch with you, or maybe it was the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I'm sure it was. Um, your story is um, remarkably beautiful. And um, you are doing a lot with your suffering. You are changing the world. So thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate that a lot. And thank you for having me on for this great conversation. Pleasure. Um, I will continue to pray for you and your husband. Um, stay inside and stay safe and stay healthy. All right. You as well. I'll link everything in the, um, in the uh, show notes. So go follow Christine on what was your handle? Uh, the future is family. That's it. That's it. I knew it had an F in it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Christine. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Welcome to the Universal Sisterhood Podcast. We're hoping to create a place where women can delve deeper, lift their gaze higher, live freer, laugh louder, smile brighter and be the authentic woman she was designed to be. Every human heart is created to be known, loved and understood. So this is the place where women can share their stories. Welcome to episode 41. In today's episode, I chat with Anna, my sister, my beautiful big sister. She's definitely not big in stature, just in order of things. She's tiny and petite. Um, but we chat about the Divine Mercy Sunday which is coming up this weekend and the fact that there are no coincidences and we celebrate this um, feast day in the church which is a call for us to um, remind us to trust trust in Jesus and his divine mercy for us um, John Paul II felt um, a special calling to remind the world of God's mercy and he canonized Saint Faustina in 2000 um, and it was no mistake that he died on the eve of Divine Mercy Sunday um, probably so that he could get to heaven and celebrate the big party um, have a listen we talk about how we um, have been in the circumstances of our life called to trust fully and completely because when it comes down to it Control is a complete illusion and we have to just trust in him and he is a good father. Um, I hope you enjoy this episode. Share it with a friend if you enjoyed it and uh, happy Easter. <laughs>